Uh, well, welcome today. Glad to have you. If you're new, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridge Church. And uh, we are in the third week of our series in the Gospel of John. And John has sort of begun his Gospel with his very clear statements about who God is. He, he started, the first week we looked about, he answered this question, who is Jesus? And in the second part of his introduction, he answers this question, who is God? And now when we come to the sort of the next section of the gospel that he writes, he, he begins to answer the, this third question, who is the Holy Spirit? And that's what we're going to talk about today. But unlike the first two answers to the first two questions, where he answered with these broad, sweeping, profound statements about who Jesus and who, who God is in this section, now he's going to teach us, show us about who the Holy Spirit is through a conversation that the, the John the, the Baptist has. Uh, two conversations, one with the religious leaders and the other with his disciples. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, and we're going to look at these two conversations that John the Baptist has. Here's how it begins. John chapter, 19, uh, John chapter 1, verse 19 says this, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, now let's just stop right here to begin with. There's one thing that we just need to clear up as we walk through the Gospel of John. And that's this term that John uses almost 70 times in his Gospel, the term the Jews. Now, when he uses this term, the Jews, there's a few times when it's kind of, it sort of has a neutral connotation, once or twice when it's positive. But the vast majority of the time when John is talking about the Jews, it has a negative connotation, which can, can feel kind of grating to us a little bit. Like, John, really? I mean, you shouldn't, shouldn't be talking that way about them. But, but let's just clear up what, what he's talking about here. When he talks about the Jews, he's talking not about the Jewish people, but rather about the Jewish religious leaders and their close followers. Because, of course, John loves the Jewish people. He's Jewish himself. Jesus was Jewish. Every one of the apostles was Jewish. Most of the early church was made up of Jewish people. So, so John is not in any way sort of slagging the Jewish people. Rather, he's referring, when he talks about the Jews, he's referring to the religious leaders. And, and, and frankly, many people kind of do this today, not with the Jewish people, but with, with the Russians in light of the invasion of Ukraine, right? They say, well, the Russians have done this and the Russians are doing that. When they say that, they don't mean all of the entire nation of Russia is made up of bad people. Not at all. The Russians are wonderful people. When they talk like that, what they're, what they're saying, what, what you're saying if you talk like that is the Russian leadership and those who are closely associated, the Russians are doing that. And so we still understand that this way today. We just do it in a different context. But it's important that you understand that John loves the Jewish people. And this phrase, which will come up over and over, this, this word over and over, is simply referring to the Jewish leaders. Okay? Just have to make that clear. So John says the, the, John, the, the Apostle John says that the, the Jewish leaders sent some of their people to ask John the Baptist, who are you? And this is how John answers. In verse 20, he says this, he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, 
I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So they asked John, look, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? John like, nope. Are you Elijah? Because, you see, in that day there was a, a belief that because Elijah had been taken into heaven, he never physically died, that, that he would physically sort of be dropped off on earth again, and that he would perform miracles and settle religious disputes, and that he would introduce the Messiah. They said, are, are you Elijah who was taken up and, and dropped back down here on earth? No. They said, well, what about the prophet? Now, by the prophet, they're referring to the, one of the things that Moses said just before he died. He said, there will come another prophet like me, a prophet who will lead people from, from slavery to freedom. And so they're saying, look, you know, we, the Jewish people, are under the domination of the Roman Empire. Are you the prophet that Moses foretold would come and to set his people free? John's like, no, not at all. So, so then who are you? And so then John quotes this, this quote from the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John says, Look, I am nobody. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm, I'm so insignificant. I'm just a voice. And of that, a voice in the wilderness. Do you know who this person is? This lady is Emma Clark. Emma Clark speaks to millions of people in London, London, England, every single day, and they listen to what she has to say. Now, the reason they do is because Emma Clark is the voice that is heard on the subway, on the underground, the tube. When, you, when a train is coming, she's the one who says, Mind the gap. Mind the gap, right? If you've never been there, that, that, that saying, it says, look, the train is coming into the station, so step back because you don't want to get run over by this thing. Mind the gap. And, and she's the voice that millions listen to. But with all due respect to Emma Clark, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. With all due respect to her, she is, and hear me, I'm, I'm, but she's nobody. She's just a voice. She, she's just saying, sending this important information that will be so important to prepare for the coming of the trains into the stations. But she's no one. But that's what John the Baptist is saying. Who are you? He says, I'm just a voice. I'm nobody. I'm just saying, prepare for what God is going to do. Prepare for, for what is coming. He says, when you're asking me who I am, what I'm all about, you know, if you're checking, you're asking the wrong question. Of course, you have to remember that John the Baptist was a big deal in the religious world in that day. I mean, the reason why the religious leaders sent their, their guys to check him out is because all kinds of people were going to listen to him and hear him and were getting baptized by him. So he was a big deal. But he knew that his role was simply to point to someone much greater than him. His role was to prepare the way for God to do an incredible work in all of history and in people's lives, which is important for us to remember when we think about the big deal religious leaders in our world these days. I mean, let, let, me, let me give you a quiz. I'm going to give you seven names. I want you to just keep track either on your fingers or in your head of whether or not you know who these people are. Okay, ready? Here they go. Billy Sunday, number one. Number two, William Seymour. Number three, Charles Templeton. Number four, William Townsend. Number five, Dwight Moody. 
Number six, Benjamin Warfield. How are you doing so far? Okay, number seven, Jesus Christ. Okay, so question. How many of you got at least one right? Good, good, I'm glad. How many got seven right? Eight right? Yeah, nobody. Why? Because who? I mean, that's what we say about these. Who are these guys? Billy Sunday was like one of the greatest evangelists in the early 1900s. Thousands of people came to faith under his teaching and his preaching. William Seymour was a pastor who was part of the, the group that began the Pentecostal movement of which millions of people are part of these days. Charles Templeton was a friend and contemporary of Billy Graham. He, he led crusades, led all kinds of people to Christ. He's a Canadian. He, he then became an influential pastor of a, of a megachurch, 5,000 people in Toronto in the, in the 1950s, which, I mean, was unheard of in that day, incredibly influential until he had a crisis of faith, and he walked away from his faith entirely. William Townsend started Wycliffe Bible Translators. Dwight Moody, incredible evangelist in the 1800s. Benjamin Warfield, a famous theologian who, who uh, defended the, the reliability and truthfulness of the Bible. I mean, all of those people were incredibly important, famous Christian leaders in their day. They spoke at conferences and led crusades and, and wrote books and were pastors of influential churches. And all kinds of good things happened under their ministry. People got saved. Their, their lives changed. It was so beautiful what happened. And many finished so well. Some like Charles Templeton fell away and would have been a scandalous thing in the day. But in the end, we say, who? I mean, in the end, the only name that matters, the only one that we remember, really, the only one that is central, so high above every other name, is the name of Jesus Christ. Because, see, their role, their purpose, was simply to be a voice. Simply to be no one. So that Jesus would receive all the glory. So that he would be the one that people look to. Because he's the one that changes their lives. So let's keep that in mind as we think about the influential Christian leaders in our day. If you're like me, you have a number of people that you really look up to. You read their books, you listen to their podcasts, their sermons. And if you're like me, they've been very formative and, and, and important in shaping your Christian walk. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. If, in the end, they're pointing you and me to Jesus. I mean, when, when you're done reading their book, when you're done listening to their sermon, when you're done listening to their podcast, if you aren't more devoted to Jesus than you were before, if you're not more committed to loving your neighbor the way Jesus calls us to, if you're not more willing to submit every aspect and every area of your life to the Lordship of Jesus, then either they have failed in what they are doing or you're missing What's going on? If instead they, they're teaching you that you should just love yourself, if instead the message is that God's going to make you rich, if instead, if instead it's they're teaching you their political views with just a bit of sort of Christian sheen on it, then they are failing in what they're called to do. And you should not be listening to that crowd. Their role, if they're doing it right, is to point you to Jesus. 
to cause you to love him more? If the primary question you're asking is, who are they? Then like the religious leaders, you're missing what they're all about. Because 200 years ago, in fact, 200 years from now, in fact, 50 years from now, most people will say of the person that you look up to so much, who? Because that's not their role. Their role is to point to Jesus. When the religious leaders came to John and say, who are you? He says, wrong question. I'm nobody. But I'm preparing the way for the one for the one that you should be looking for. Which means that their next natural question should be, oh, really? Okay, who, who's that? Who, who are you preparing the way for? But unfortunately, that's not the question that they ask. Here, here's the question that they ask in verse 25. They ask them, well then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Classic, right? I mean, if you're not more important than we think we are, then how dare you be doing something that we don't necessarily approve of? Why are you baptizing then if you're not one of them? Now, watch how John answers the question. He actually doesn't answer the question. They say, why are you baptizing? He doesn't tell them why. But rather, he points out that they've got it all wrong. They're, they're looking in the totally wrong direction. They're missing what's going on. He, here's what he says in verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. It was the, it was the job of a slave in, the, in that world to bend down, when, a, when the, his master came home and untie his dirty, dusty sandal, it was incredibly humiliating, a very humbling job, the lowest of low jobs. And John says, in light of the one who is coming, I'm not even worthy to do something that low in his presence. That, that's how great he is compared to who I am. And then he says to the religious leaders, and he is right among you, and you can't even see him. You, you don't even know that he's here. Now, how, how is that possible? I mean, the religious leaders of all people, you know, they, they're questioning him about who are you, and they're missing the one who is so much greater right in front of them. You know, the people who you think should have been most aware, who should have been asking the right questions. See what's really going on. They don't have a clue. All they're focused on is making sure that John doesn't baptize people in water. And who is he to report back to their people? I mean, they miss it all. That's how the conversation between the religious leaders and John ends. But then the next day, John has another conversation. It's a continuation of this, this thread of thought and, and this time it's with his disciples and here's how this conversation goes in verse 29 it says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me now, now John says to his disciples you know the question that the, the religious leaders should have asked yesterday who, who am I preparing the way for who, who is the one so much greater that I'm not worthy to even untie the strap of his sandals? That's who it is. Jesus, right there, that's him. But notice then what he says next. In verse 31, he says this. I myself did not know him, 
But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John says, John the Baptist says, at first, I didn't know that he was the Messiah. In fact, now he answers the question that the religious leaders had asked him. Why do you baptize people in water? His answer was because the main reason that I was baptizing people in water was so that I would know who the Messiah really was. That's why I was baptizing. And so that I could reveal him to others. And, 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 and so he goes on to explain this. Listen, listen to what he says next. Verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to, to John the Baptist. And, and he says to him, you will know who the Messiah is. You will know who the one is sent by God. When you are baptizing them, and, and when you finish baptizing him, you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain upon them. So, why was John baptizing? Because he wanted to know who it was. So, day after day, he baptizes people. Dozens, hundreds thousands. Every time he baptizes someone in water, they come up. They've, it's a baptism of repentance. They say, I'm going to follow God with all my heart. He says, amen, gives him a hug. But the spirit doesn't descend on them. He's like, okay, not the one. Next. He baptizes the next one. Comes up. Nope. Praise God for what you're doing. On, on you go. Until one day he's baptizing and Jesus comes. Oh, John knows Jesus. They, they, they're relatives. And John says to Jesus, you should baptize me. And Jesus says to John, no, no, you should baptize me. And so that's what John does. John baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes out of the water, when he comes out of the water, the heavens open up and the voice of God the Father speaks and says, this is my son whom I deeply love. And then John looks and he sees the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit come and descend upon Jesus and remain upon him. And then in that moment, John knows, this is the one. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in so doing, and in so doing, the Holy Spirit reveals to John who Jesus is. And with this, we, we have the introduction to who the, to who the Holy Spirit is. See, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Trinity is the, is the Godhead. Be, before time and space, before God created this universe and all that is in it, God existed. God existed in three, three persons, but as one God. In fact, the, the word Trinity comes from the word tri, meaning three, and unity, meaning one. Marshall Shelley explains it this way. He says, within his own mysterious being, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The designations are just ways in which God is God. Within the Godhead, there are three persons who are neither three gods nor three parts of God, but co-equally and co-eternally God. So, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself. 
And here we see that one of his main functions is to reveal to us who Jesus is. See, neither the religious leaders nor, frankly, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. It was only when the Holy Spirit revealed it to John the Baptist that he said, oh, you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. In fact, there's a certain irony in how the Holy Spirit works because you know the Holy Spirit is at work and is present when you don't notice him because you are so focused on who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. But that's his role. His role is to direct you to notice Jesus. It's like, it's like a little bit like the lights on the outside of this building. I don't know if you've ever driven by the church at night, but it's lit up. It's beautiful, right? The, 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 the window wells glow, the, the cross glows under the, under the soffit glows. And when you come by, chances are you don't think about the lights at all. You're not focused on the lights. You're looking at the building because that's the purpose of the lights, to illuminate the building. If instead all you noticed was the lights and missed the building, then there would be a failure. That's not the purpose of the lights. The lights are to show the building. And, and that's, that's the same for, for how the Holy Spirit works. He illuminates Jesus. The theologian J.I. Packer calls the work of the Holy Spirit a floodlight ministry because his, his purpose is to quietly turn everyone's attention away from him and on to Jesus. And the theologian Dale Bruner calls the, the, the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. Because, again, his work is to take attention off himself and to point it to Jesus. So one of the best ways that you can know that the Holy Spirit is working then is if you and the people around you are being drawn to Jesus. Then the Spirit is at work. In fact, without the work of the Holy Spirit... In a person's life, no one can come to, to really understand and know who Jesus is. I mean, someone can hear the gospel explained to them. They can listen to all kinds of sermons. You can show them the, the reasonableness and the wisdom and the beauty of, of, of the Christian faith. And they say, well, that's nice. But unless the Holy Spirit works in their heart, they don't, it isn't revealed to them. They, they don't come to know who Jesus really is. Um, it's again, it, it's like, I mean, maybe you're not old enough to remember a time like this, but there was a time, I think in the 1990s, where everyone had a poster that looked kind of like this. Okay? Clearly, 90s was not like a great poster fashion time, but, but they had a poster like this, and this poster, or one, similar like this, this poster, the technical term for it is an osteostereogram. And the way it works is that if you stare at that long enough, you'll be able to see a, a, a three-dimensional shape begin to appear. But you can't see it at just a glance. You have to look at it for a while. If you look at it long enough, you'll see a shark appear in three dimension off of this picture. Now, I, I don't have enough time for you to spend the next 10 minutes looking at it. But once you see it, once you see it, you can't look at that and not see it because it's, it's there. And, and the Holy Spirit is something like that. I mean, in our hearts when it comes to the gospel, he makes the gospel come alive. He, he helps us to see what, what before we're like, I, I, yeah, I see it, but I don't really see it. Suddenly it's alive. It, it's, like, it's like if you, uh, if you were to 
describe to a blind person what color is like. You could describe to them all you want until one day their eyes are open and suddenly it's like, oh, yeah. Or if you tried to explain to someone what honey tasted like, I mean, you could use all the words and give them sort of a general idea. But until they taste honey, they're like, oh, that's what honey is like. You see, and that's what the Holy Spirit does when it comes to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes and works in our lives, then we see it in a totally different way. So, so who is the Holy Spirit? He's the spotlight that reveals Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit reveals to John the Baptist who Jesus really is. But, but then the, John the Baptist tells us that after that, that the Holy Spirit not only descended upon Jesus, but that he remained on Jesus. Which is uh, very interesting. If, if Jesus is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God, then why does the Holy Spirit have to come and remain on Jesus? I mean, if Jesus is everything that John tells us he is, that he is the universal cosmic force, he is God himself, he is the creator of the universe, he is the, 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 the giver and sustainer of all life, then, then, then why is it that at the baptism, as John says here, that he saw the Holy Spirit come and not only descend on Jesus, but remain upon Jesus? And the answer is that Jesus became flesh. Jesus became human like one of us, which is this incredible mystery. Jesus was fully God, 100% God, but he was also fully human, 100% human. But, but in a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to some Christians at Philippi, he explains that when Jesus came in the flesh that he, that he humbled himself in fact, this is what he says. The Apostle Paul writes this. He, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You know, where he says he made himself nothing, Paul uses a Greek word, kenosis, which literally means he, he emptied himself out. He poured himself out. The question is, he emptied himself of what? He poured what out? In the verse before, Paul explains, he says this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The Apostle Paul, he acknowledges the exact same thing that the Apostle John says, that Jesus was fully and utterly and completely God. But then he goes on to say that when he came in the flesh, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, when he came, though he was fully God, he chose not to grasp, not to hold on to, to the reality of who he was. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, and he willingly chose to become humble and submissive. So that means that he didn't stop being God, nor did he become something other than God. Instead, it meant that he chose not to, to seize, not to take advantage of what was his by divine nature. He relinquished his power as God. To become one like us. See, too often when we think of Jesus, we don't think of him as fully God and fully human. We think of him as kind of part God and part human. And the human part was all the things that, that we do. Eat and sleep and get tired and get, you know, all those things. But the God part is where he sort of tapped into when it was time to, time to do miracles and, and to cast out demons and to, to, to raise people from the dead. That, that was sort of him just sort of flipping to the God side and saying, I can do this. That's not, that's not what, what he did. 
The Apostle Paul explains that he consciously and willingly emptied himself of all of that divine power that was naturally his because he was a member of the Trinity. Instead, he became just like one of us with all of the limitations that we have, which means that he could do nothing in his own strength. In fact, before his baptism that, that John is talking about here, before he came to see John the Baptist to be baptized, there's no record of him you know, preaching great sermons or healing anyone uh, or, or casting out demons, nothing. It was only after his baptism when the Holy Spirit came and, and remained on him. Everything that he did, everything that he did that was powerful, that was supernatural, was not through his own sort of godness, even though he was and remained fully God, but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit working through him as he was obedient to what his Father in heaven asked him to do. Do you understand what this means? This means that all of the ministry that Jesus did on earth, all of the miracles of casting out demons and, and speaking truth and seeing people's lives change, he did all of that with the exact same limitations that you and I have as flesh and blood human beings. Which means that everything that he did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. Which has profound implications, therefore, for you and I. Right? I mean, because John explains that although he baptized with water, Jesus came baptizing with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the same Spirit, the, the same Holy Spirit that, that remained and, and abided in him, he now imbues to those, he, he now imparts into those of us who put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Think about that. The same power available to us, in us. I mean, he's, he says we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the Holy Spirit. We put our faith in him. You, you know what baptism is. I mean, we do baptisms here. Here, it's not like a little trickle of water. No, no, baptism is all the way in. Come out soaking wet, drenched. That's the picture. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The same power is available to us. That's why later in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says these stunning statements. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, how? How is that possible? I mean, think of what Jesus did. The, the people that were healed. The, the people that were set free. The hope that people found. The, the, the lives that were changed. And we would do greater things than he I mean, because how is it possible? It's because he did it all by the power of the Holy Spirit that descended upon him and remained upon him. The same power that is available to us. I mean, that, that should blow our minds, especially as good Baptists, right? I mean, they, that should be, wow, it should cause us to delve more deeply into what the Bible says about who the Holy Spirit is and what it means both for us individually and for us collectively, corporately, as the body of Christ in this place. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the incredible power of God at work in and through the lives of those who believe in Jesus Christ. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, in John's day, John the Baptist's day, I mean, they, they, they totally missed it. I mean, they're focused on John, who are you? And they missed 
The one's so much greater right there in their midst. They, they, they're arguing about, you know, water baptism and should it be and And they miss the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform all kinds of things as they put their trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes to those who are listening, to those who are open to the Holy Spirit. He reveals to them who Jesus really is because that's what the Spirit does. And then, and then he gives them the kind of power to do all kinds of things, not for their own glory, not for their own fame, not so they can say, oh, look at, look at the power at work in us. No, that's not the work of the Spirit at all, but rather, so people say, look at Jesus. Look how incredible he is. Look how great he is. You're nothing, you're just a voice, but this, this is the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Would you, would you bow your heads? Would you join me? Let's, let's pray. Well, God, God, we come to you this day and we're humbled again. We're humbled again by how great you are. And God, that though you are one, there, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful that you would send him into the world to become flesh. And it blows our mind that he would empty himself of all of the rights and privileges of God and simply take on the limitations that we have, but then operate through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, would we, would we also operate by the power of your Spirit alive in us? God, would we be open to, to what your Spirit says to us? Lord, would we be open to, the, to, to see Jesus more clearly because of the work of the Spirit in our lives? Would we be willing to be used by the power of the Spirit to do whatever you call us to do so that Jesus would be glorified in our lives, in the lives of the people around us, in this city? Oh God, would you please, for your name's sake, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming and joining us again today. May you walk this week more attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. May he point out Jesus in ways that just bring you life in all kinds of beautiful ways. Let me send you out with these words from the book of Ephesians. Here's what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.